Welcome to episode three of the IGDA Twin Cities podcast. Uh, we've got a lot to cover tonight, so let's get right into it. I'm your host, Ryan, and with me tonight is Tori. How's it going? And Jackie. What's up? So uh, before we get into any of the big and thick, uh, what have you guys been up to this last month? I'll let you go first, Tori. Well, um, this isn't really game related, but I had an ear surgery, so I've been kind of out of the loop, but... Uh, Actually, weirdly, I got a ton of work thrown at me while I was out, so that was quite a challenge, being an audio guy and not really having my ear. But um, uh, no, I, I guess no one's throwing anything back at me, so that's good. <laughs> so, but uh, What kind of work? Been doing, oh, I'm um, doing a ton of voice acting, and I'm actually working on a little machinima series where um, I'm writing all the music for it, and it's about a band, and I'm, I'm the lead guy, and so I'm writing like a band music for it and singing and stuff like that. We're going to try to put it on iTunes and see see how it goes. So oh, That's cool. That yeah. is cool. So that's been that and then just a bunch of random kind of voice voiceover projects. I might be doing a voice for something on PBS for a little cartoon. Probably just a one-off, but I'll find out. But yeah, just a bunch of little, just crazy little audio voice gigs popped up. So they keep me really busy. That's nice. awesome. That's all oh, uh, cash on the side? Yeah, yeah. Cool. In in Demon Wars, the expansion to Din's Curse was released last month. I never brought that up, so um, that's out there. You can oh, yeah, I remember your presentation. Was it last year about that? Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. The expansion just came out? Yeah, yeah. So. Did you do the like a bunch of stuff for that, too? Yeah, I did all the audio and voice acting music for that one, too. So. You have to um, give me a link, and we can put it in the show notes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, we'll do. Awesome, awesome man. Well, congrats on all the uh, being busy, <laughs> Thank I guess. You. Thank you. How about you, Jackie? Um, oh, man, this last month's been just crazy busy. I uh, Well, GDC was at the beginning of the month, and that was a really busy week. And then Dragon K, Dragon Age came out, <laughs> not going to lie. And then, um, uh, actually, we were also, we just kicked off building our alpha, so... Um, that's taking up a lot of time right now, but it's kind of exciting to see all the different pieces starting to come together. So very Absolutely. cool. Awesome. And Ryan, what you been up to? Um, oh, a lot of stuff actually, other than, than playing some games. Um, I, I've been wrapping up some, some art related stuff for a, uh, pinball game on Android. Been working with oh, cool. Rob at, uh, battery powered games. He got a uh, contract to do a pinball game with a company that I'm still under NDA to not say anything about. Um, but it should be out in a couple weeks, I guess. But they, they, they said that last year. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, of course. Um, and so that's that's wrapping up. I'll, I'll mention more about that once that actually happens. But um, And then um, we've been working on a new project, actually. And uh, I, I've been given the rights to go full bore on it if you want we're not we're not going to be secretive at all this time around i guess what like we were with with deadly chambers um i pitched the idea of and i'd love to get your guys's feedback a little bit on it of a men a meld of uh let's see flight control controls if you've ever played that with uh tower defense mechanics so you just blew my mind. Uh, you, you'll need to you need to like give me a little more. Yeah. Okay. How does that how does that work? Um. 
the way we put it, and I know like last time, last month we were talking with Jackie and she's like, she can't handle zombies anymore. And, and <laughs> a little part of my heart broke because it was at the time and, and admittedly the game was basically pitched as um, you're saving survivors that pop out of the woods, so to speak, and there are zombies and you have to flight control them to safety. <laughs> and some of them have weapons or some of them don't. You know, we didn't have all we don't have all the details out yet, but that's the basic idea of it. Okay. Okay. But um, That's cool. I like it. Yeah, I think it, the idea is pretty good. We've been working with a game designer. Um one of the major concerns I've had actually is the whole zombie thing cuz I also think that the uh the appeal of that is pretty small. And I think that pitching the idea it really explains it really well. Like, okay, you're zombies, you got survivors, tower defense, right? But we're trying to come up with a different genre, I guess, or theme to go with that. Okay. We'll see where it goes. So that's what most of the conversations with the designer has been. Has been um, alternatives to that. Although he doesn't like to talk about alternatives, he wants to talk about design, which is fine. And that's for mobile, for iPhone. Yeah, it'll be it'll be iPhone, Android. He's, gotcha. Rob's even saying Steam, but um, I don't really know why we'd consider that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just because we can, I guess. Doesn't sure. hurt. It'd be awesome, actually, to have a game on Steam. Um, other than that, just some game, and that's not worth mentioning much. I played a couple hours of Dragon Age, not Dragon Age Two. Mm. Got through. Did the, you played it before? No, I had not. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm behind, way behind. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I I'm an unabashed Bioware fangirl, so I mean that's all I make time to play now. There's like too many things that actually I don't get to play because I'm busy. <laughs> the you know the fantasy games, the Dragon Age, for instance, is the sort of game that would be on my you know radar for a little bit, but then sort of disappear as other stuff came out. But so many people have such great things to say about it, and and you're passionate about it jackie it, you know, it makes me think like i'm missing something so i, I gotta try it <laughs> uh, it's a great game i i really liked it too i gotta say yeah i i enjoy well i enjoy their storytelling style a lot and i think that's what i like the best i don't really i don't really like the fantasy genre but i like the story so i play it it's sort of sort of funny how the stories are generally always the same, but you know you can wrap them in in ninja, you can wrap them in cowboy, you can wrap them in fantasy, mm-hmm. or wrap them in space, and you'll get your different people interested. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Mass Effect, I think is amazing, but that's also because I got major interest in sci-fi. So mm, sure. More, more. Yeah, I really. There's some Mass Effect DLC coming out tomorrow, so I'm excited about that. Good thing we didn't plan on recording tomorrow. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. We gotta do this in five minutes, folks. Five minutes, okay? Let's get it through. Get the micro machines guy on there. <laughs> oh my god, we're old if we remember that. <laughs> micro machines. Oh, dude, you know the micro machines guy, right? Yeah. Oh, oh gosh, the guy. Yeah, all right. It took me a few seconds to remember what was iconic about it. Yeah, he spoke really, 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 really fast. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of those, uh, yeah, we're aging ourselves a little bit, but <laughs> which happens often. Like, um, I don't know, it's like three times a year Garbage Pail Kids seem to come up in conversation. Uh, yeah. I have Garbage Pail Kids in Spanish. Uh, <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you speak multiple languages? 
by chance? I, I do speak Spanish. Okay. I grew up. I grew up. I spent six years in Bolivia growing up, so they. Uh, that's why. <laughs> that's why I have those. I don't know why I still have them, but I do. Extra skills. <laughs> yeah. Well, good for you, man. Oh, thank you. I went to to France for work um, half a year ago, and um, we're walking around, and you know, everybody's like, "Bonjour, merci." I can't even say it. And all that would pop into my head is uh, uh, "muy bueno," <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just Spanish phrases would come out all the time. <laughs> just could not do it. I I actually do that um, because I <laughs> I took French like all through high school and like a semester of it in college. So I had like six years of French, and then I took Spanish. And I took like you know five semesters of Spanish. And I and now when someone speaks one language to me, I'm like thinking in the other language back at oh, them. Sure. It's really frustrating. So now I don't. I don't speak either anymore out loud because <laughs> like it turns into this weird mangled spang say I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> like, Frenchlish. Yeah, Frenchlish. <laughs> well, it's not English. It's like a, it's like Spanish and French mixed together. So. Frish. R- yeah. Like Frank French. Frank Frank Pagnol or something. I don't even know. What to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there must be something that connects our brain in that way. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. All right, cool. Hey, um, did uh, I know, Jackie, you're a bit in on, on the news a bit. Um, stuff with the IGDA vote and stuff like that. Did anything interesting come out of that? Yeah, so we have some new um, board board members. Um, there are three, or I'm sorry, four that are available for three-year seats that were elected to three-year seats. And um, that's uh, Brian Robbins, who's the founder of Riptide Games, and um, Fergus. And I can't pronounce Fergus's last name, but uh, he's the CEO of Obsidian Entertainment. And I think you've probably heard of him before. I don't know. He's kind of outspoken. um, Dustin Klingman, who's the CEO of ZG Games, and Corey Ryerson, the director um, of university talent development at Microsoft Game Studios. And then there was a one-year seat that um, Scott Beerfield, who's the executive producer, the Center for Serious Play at the University of Washington, Bothell, um, was elected to that seat. So t- in total, there were 1,418 ballots that were cast. Um, we were 154 votes short of quorum. But 18% of the membership base actually did vote, and that was uh, up from 11% in 2010. So, so what's the total membership base? I'm trying to do the, the math on that. Is it like 8,000 or something like that? 18, if 18% voted, then the but only 1,500 people did. Yeah, so that's just shy of 20%. So 15, 30, 60. So, yeah, like a little bit over six, six thousand members. Still, I mean, an increase from last year. I imagine it'll only get better. Cool. Yeah. I, well, I'm gonna credit, you know, uh, Ryan Arndt, who's doing an amazing job of 
getting the word out and, you know, with his social media efforts and outreach and phone calls and all the other stuff he's doing, um, I think he's getting more of the membership base involved. And I think that's really good. So I look forward to what they're doing. He's definitely doing that social butterfly thing, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, that's what we needed. So. No, I 100% agree. Um, It helped suck me in a little bit, to be honest. Um, Definitely done a good job. Some of the questions. Yeah, look at you. Now you're doing a podcast. Look at me. I'm on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, See, all right. When I first like started doing that, I haven't been on Twitter forever. I've only been on Twitter for a year, and I think that was about the same time he had started there. And I had put his face as the president of the IGDA or something like that. Um, What is his position exactly? It's just like a, a. social media person or something like that? I mean, he yeah, wasn't voted in or anything. Yeah, right? not that I know of. I believe he, yeah, it's like a employee kind of, or super volunteer. I'm not actually sure if he gets paid or not. Okay. Well, he's doing a good job. Just, yeah, he's just doing a good job. Clearing up. And anybody else that might see what the, the face of IGDA is on Twitter or Facebook or IGDA.com, org for that matter i mean you'll see ryan all over the place and um uh, i think he's doing a good job um oh and then in other news too uh i guess following up to gdc news i also attended the women in games meeting at gdc and then i also attended the um business and legal um special interest group meeting and i somehow I managed to get myself volunteered and on the steering committee mm-hmm. of the business and legal <laughs> special is interest a, group. Is that so, a congratulations in order or? <laughs> no, I don't know. Don't congratulate me yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the room was filled with a, a lot of lawyers, you know, being business and legal. And I felt that the indie community, which is really the heart of the IGDA. I mean, cause I, the IGDA is about representing individuals, not, corporations because corporations have enough representation (laughs) Um, that I felt that it was important to have the voice of the indie community on the business and legal special interest group. So I'll be helping out with that and trying to get more um, indie devs involved in that group because I think we really need that. Yes. Well, especially in Minnesota, I think that the indies are a lot stronger here than in, well, I mean, not that they're not strong in other places. They're just more represented in our chapter than in um, other chapters where there are large game studios in the vicinity. Right, but we should be able to, I mean, you know, being the business and legal SIG, there there should be, you know, help if you want to start your own studio. Like, you know, here's some basic things you need to consider if you're thinking about, because most people don't go into this with business knowledge, right? They have an idea. How do they protect their intellectual property? Like all of these other questions. And a lot of people make mistakes when they go through this. I mean, I'm fortunate in that I've worked with a lot of lawyers like for the last like five years. So I kind of know what some of the pitfalls are and I can prepare for those. But I don't think that you know, someone coming out of school with a great idea necessarily knows those. Or even someone who's done a few games and, you know, sometimes the 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 how you learn is you get really burnt and that's too bad right people right. shouldn't be taking advantage of so yeah that'd be good because I know that well, I'm definitely afraid of doing that sort of thing yeah and then and I think it kind of lowers the the barrier to entry so to speak too for 
for people, like from a knowledge sense, not an economic sense that they can, oh, I can totally do this because I know what steps I need to take to make it happen. Right. Awesome. Well, that's good. Thanks for representing. You're welcome. All right. Um, well, there's a couple other local things going on that I guess we could talk about. Um, just real quick mention, let's see the... Um, another group in town the uh why don't i have the link open the twin cities iphone developers group and uh one of our pretty common uh attendees at, at the igda meetings is uh martin gritter and he'll be presenting in may i think i think it's may may 3rd uh an intro to iphone game development which um would be pretty interesting i wonder if he'd be interested in doing something like that in the IGDA group or not. I know yeah, he, we should ask him. Yeah, the first first meeting I ever went to for IGDA was him presenting his game Gotris, where he combined Go and Tetris into a game. And that was really interesting. Um, I believe it was Flash-based. But now he's he's made some other games. He's got some on iPhone. Uh, Action Chess, that's the game I'm trying to think of. He might have more. Uh, I, I think that was actually my first IGDA meeting. <laughs> was that one? Was the Gotris or Action Chess? Okay, Action Chess. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So Martin's a good guy. He's a he's a friend of the group for sure. Yeah. Um, and then another local thing going on I know of is it's called Combo Breaker. It's like a game tournament um, event where it's like Street Fighter and all sorts of games. Uh, it's a two day event, which is a pretty big deal. I'm not going to go into it too much here. I'll put a link in the show notes, but um, it's it sounds to be pretty interesting. I'm impressed that there's something like that going on in the in the local area. Um, you guys know of anything else going on? I mean, I, the what's that website? Oh, tech.mn. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure who runs that. I think you know more than I do about it, Jackie. But um, it's a pretty good pretty good website to check out for local stuff, kind of in our genre. Yeah, pretty much any kind of like user group or special interest group is usually listed on their calendar. So if you're you're looking for some people that like-minded folks, that would be a good place to go. Tech.mn. Cool. Yeah, I noticed they have a podcast and stuff too. I haven't had a listen yet, but um, probably will since it's local. Alrighty. Well, that about wraps up all that stuff. Um, <laughs> Maybe we should talk about what happened last month, or uh, not even last month, uh, a couple of weeks ago at uh, the meeting in the March meeting. The uh, it was a big meeting actually. Big John Games came in with um, a group of UV or UV UW Stout uh, students, and Big John also presented two of their their games, one for WiiWare and one for DSiWare. Um, I know you guys weren't lucky enough to attend, Tori having just had his ear surgery and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, uh, Dragon ad- Age release was <laughs> <laughs> kind of a conflict. <laughs> um, yeah, you guys missed out. Yeah, I am sad I missed it though. Um, but, but luckily, I mean, it gives me a great opportunity to mention that we did video record it so you can see it and I believe you guys have, have watched it. Yes, um, indeed. Yes, yes. Thank you for recording those, by the way. Yeah, they're they're good and bad. I got to get some new tapes. The ones I got are giving me some static. Actually, I need to get new cameras, but um, they cost money. 
Yeah, that always gets in the way of my yoga. I mean, yeah. money money is such a problem. Well, I've got a but. camera picked out. It's like 25 grand. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't wow. film as I used to, but that would give me the, that would give me the quality I'd I'd be willing to make another movie with. <laughs> anyway, so I um, guess it's ramen for a year and a half, but uh, it's all good. Gosh, I don't think that'd save up enough. <laughs> and by then there'll be another a newer one for forty grand out of. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, well, anyway, like I said, it was divided into sort of three sections. The first section was the uh, University of Wisconsin Stout uh, students. Uh, that was really interesting, um, in that the students had been given a uh, design document, so to speak, and and they were designing a game t- against that. So, and they each presented. Uh, they actually looked like they had practiced a bit too, so it was a decent presentation. I recommend looking at it in the uh, video. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys find anything interesting about that? Any uh, noteworthy stuff? It was it was actually interesting just seeing how 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 many different things that they came up with. It's kind of funny that the 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 cute decision to choose a mouse um, because it can eat sort of human food and <laughs> yeah and um instead of like a cat, so kids wouldn't feed their cats. <laughs> inappropriate food like cupcakes or something uh, that tickled me a little bit the uh the other thing too about the um well, i suppose this is actually the next section but it was it was really interesting listening to how many different ways they tried to work the wiimote uh, in with a jam game yeah yeah and... just just jam so um uh matt uh, and i forget his last name at the moment i apologize matt um he was the lead developer there on Just Jam. It's a WiiWare title. So it's a, a rhythm-based game that I, I think exists on PC and uses guitar peripheral. Is that... I think that you know, sounds right, actually. Which which I thought was weird in the PC realm, but I know people do it. Um, and so they were porting that, so to speak, to the the Wii via WiiWare. And um, yeah, his presentation on controller options and difficulties and that whole... Um, uh, what what existed in, on the PC or or in the in the the other game to what they could do with the 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 Wii was really interesting. So. And, it, and I also found it interesting too that Nintendo won't let you sort of design something for peripheral because they want everything they don't want to kind of worry about something working or not. So you got to make sure that it works with uh, basically all the proprietary hardware that they have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I found that interesting too. Yeah, the only option you have is the Wii mode nunchuck. They won't they won't let you have access to third-party peripherals, which I thought right. was sort of interesting. It's almost too bad. Yeah. But but that's just for WiiWare, I believe, right? Yes, yeah, just for WiiWare because it I, I believe they're for future looking with stuff, so they can always support oh, that sure. controller whereas they can't necessarily support all the uh peripherals. True. True. So and and it makes sense too because as a company, if the game doesn't work, Nintendo would get the flack for it, not the game developer. Generally, how that that fallout happens. So that's true. Um, the other thing I thought was really interesting in that is um, as a part-time novice developer, uh, Matt had mentioned a trick that he does called rolling averages. Did you guys hear that? Yes, but I don't understand what that means. What does that mean? Um, yes, yeah, this explain. is <laughs> these are one of those things that um, I had I had been using it, and I was trying to figure out what the math trick of it was. I had actually done uh, internet searches trying to find out what it was called. Uh, rolling averages, it turns out, is his term. I asked him afterwards, you know, if that's what they were really called. But essentially, what it is is you just take um, 
so you know the value of something, say like you're spinning. And at, in this frame, you know, because uh, video games, they do the update loops. You get frame, frame, frame. So this frame, you know um, that your spin is, say, 15. That's what you're currently spinning at. That's what your direction is. But you're telling it to go to some other spin, like, say, 90. You want it to spin all the way around, say, 100, or, uh, 105. So you want it to be, or I'm sorry, uh, 205. Well, this is getting complicated. Sorry. So just say doing a 180. Uh, so what you would do is you'd take the uh, the previous value, the known value, the current value, and then the target value, and you would say like uh, uh, 99 times the current value plus the target value uh, divided by 100. So you'd essentially be doing a rolling average, where you know the first time it happens, it's really strong on the what it was, and then as you go frame to frame to frame, your target value starts to overrun what you used to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are we going to get this out? <laughs> is, is that different than a weighted average? Um, boy, now you're making me want to look up Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm very visual, so I just may be just totally breaking this in my mind. That's uh, I believe having so. abstraction this, problems. Yeah. I mean, this is happening over time, so you're just... Um, Instead of it being a very abrupt change and you're not keeping track of any you know, motion profile information about how quick it should turn or anything like that, you're just sort of allowing it to happen, but you're slowing it down by saying, hey, be what you used to be, but only be a little bit of what your target is and keep doing that until you're really close to your target. Hmm. That, no, that makes sense, too. And like a lot of animations, instead of like if something is, is expanding, it doesn't expand and just stop. Like a lot of times in commercials, you see that it'll it'll kind of move quickly, then kind of slow down towards the end, and then then kind of come to a nice stop, um, because it just looks smoother. Yep, that's that's more controlled um, uh, animation thing, of course. I mean, right, in, but in, in the developing the, the rolling concept, average, well, the rolling average, what it allows you to do is it allows you to do a motion that doesn't appear very linear. You know, it, all of a sudden you're starting and all of a sudden you're stopping. Right. You're explaining exactly what you're avoiding by doing a rolling average sort of trick. Um, is so that you can kind of make those things not seem abrupt. Right, right. No, no, exactly. I agree. And the reason you'd want to do it, or the, re the reason I do it is so I don't have to keep track of a whole bunch of, you know, data over time to know what I'm trying to be positioned in. And it's also sort of a decent way to smooth out your, your data, too, as if you've got something that's kind of noisy. All right. Um, other than that, um, the the art I thought was really interesting, and I know Tori, you would you'd you'd mention that quickly. Um, in, in combination with the uh, the audio files. Oh yeah. Do you remember the file size limitation for the WiiWare download? Well, the the max the max file size was forty, I believe, right? And then um, that the, they could cram everything into. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head anymore. But I remember they're saying, uh, what did they have, like three to four megs per level they could use? Yeah, it was actually sort of impressive the amount of stuff they jammed into. Yeah. Because of the, all the different loops and then. Yeah. And I, 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 I'll, I'll, oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I'd strongly recommend watching the uh, the video <laughs> if, if you hadn't, if you weren't oh, yeah. there or didn't get a chance to see it. Something I, as an audio guy, which I thought was interesting is they. They'd actually take separate tracks and listen listen to them in, in mono and stereo and then try to figure out what would work okay with, with mono so they could cut it down. So as an audio guy, that'd be such a painful process. Um, but 
I think it's I'm really impressed with what they're able to jam in such such a small space. How, how do you mean painful? Like um, the loss of quality or or yeah okay. yeah it, yeah yeah and just just I, I guess really that it would happen to any developer when you have to trim off you know stuff that you worked hard to do. Oh, it's um, it's like me taking my uh, my bitmap textures and then being told I need to compress them to around thirty percent JPEG. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's it's yeah. disheartening because exactly. that you know all these little pixels you do by hand are now just a mass of square blur. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. No, exactly. exactly. Now I can I can relate in the in the visual sense. I get it. All right, and then the the last section there was um, Ken, uh, the uh, the owner I believe of Big John Games. Uh, he presented sort of his outlook on WiiWare and specifically uh, DSiWare with 3DS coming in the marketplace for that sort of stuff, um, which was really interesting. And it's really hard to, to kind of focus on on anything necessarily particular about his his presentation. So unless you guys have something to say, I'd say it 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 was interesting to see his interpretation of 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 uh, sales in the WiiWare and as well as how he expects the 3DS to impact the, the DS market. And, and actually, something that resonated with me, too, is how, I guess, lackluster a storefront that Nintendo currently has. Oh, yeah. Like, I, on my Wii, I've only actually downloaded one one game that was WiiWare, and, and that was completely nostalgia, just because it's so hard to cruise through what you want to take a look at. It and, is. It's really a pain to use, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um... Funny story, because I, I got my Wii a year after it came out, and um, I plugged that thing in and was super excited about it. You know, I was giddy, I finally got a Wii. There was one in the one in the wild, and I bought it. And I got it home, plugged it in, you know, saw the whole thing, connected up to the internet, downloaded a few the apps that came with it or whatever, you know, the Weather Channel. and Yeah. And then um, every day for like a week, I'd come home and check to see if there was anything new. Right? Yeah, and then I realized this thing's been out for a year. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And no. there hasn't been anything new. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Little, my idea of what would happen with that, and then what really was, kind of came in a head-to-head collision there. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's last that last meeting. It was a it was a big meeting. It was a good one. We actually uh, sold out of tickets again, which is. It was amazing. Seventy or sixty, sixty tickets. I think we were at at near capacity. I think we only had like fifty-five actually show, but um, or at least in seats. But it was a big group again, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's cool. Hopefully, we can get that for the uh, next meeting as well. Which um, I'll take the opportunity to announce. <laughs> Damien Kastbauer. Um, he's a, an audio file. Is that right? Loves loves audio. Works in audio. So he's gonna. He did a presentation at GDC. Did you see his presentation at GDC? No, unfortunately, I did not because I was in a different presentation at the time. So. Well, here's your chance, huh? I know. So I'm actually really excited about it because I was following all the tweets from his presentation on Twitter while I was in the one that I was watching. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited that he'll be presenting this to us. Um, cause even if you're not a sound person, I think you're going to 
find some interesting information in his presentation. It would be very entertaining. Yeah, his presentation is titled um, A Footstep and Movement Sound Study Discussion. So, And he did an awesome job of explaining what it is uh, at the, the meeting earlier this month, um, basically expressing how important sound is uh, to games, which I thought was really interesting. I thought Tori would really like it. Oh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be taking notes. I'll be like this silly little fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, you know, thinking about footsteps. It was actually one of the reasons I stopped playing Bioshock 2, because you're playing that big daddy, and I was really tired of clomping around. It was like clomp, 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 and I just couldn't deal with it anymore. Boy, I... So... That's actually, that. you know, that's something I dealt with in Din's Curse, and uh, I actually <laughs> ended up uh, advising that we t- take off a sound sound effect that I did, um, because it, when you, a particular creature you could summon at a very high level, you could summon this creature, and you know it's meant to be very epic, so when it would take a step, it would kind of have this big thud, but when it's your own creature and you just summoned him and he's thudding around you the whole time, boy, that got annoying, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, I was just like, you know what we should do? We should when it, when you summon this creature, you should take out the footsteps, because I'm annoying myself with my own sound effect. And um, that's a, a good lesson learned, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And some games, but, actually, I will admit that the the player sound actually gets in the way of playing the game because mm-hmm. you're trying to listen for ambient sounds and then you're moving and you know it should make a sound. Yeah. Um, or you're trying to listen to where the bad guy is, and here you are sneaking through the weeds, and all you can hear is your own gun clicking and what's moving. <laughs> yeah. And that's the way it should be, really. But, but uh, so anyway, that should be a pretty interesting uh, uh, meeting. Unfortunately, I'm going to be missing it. So, but luckily, somebody else has volunteered to record it. So video. So I won't really be missing it. It it'll be like you're there. That's right. We'll put up a little cardboard cutout of you. Yeah. <laughs> be perfect. Won't do me justice. <laughs> I'll have to record some witty sayings that we can somebody can figure via remote. <laughs> we could put your we could put your silhouette in front of the camera, like the best, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it would be really like Mystery Science Theater 2000. <laughs> I'll add me in post. How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just shake your fist every now and then. I think it'll, <laughs> yep. it'll be okay. Awesome. All right. So that's uh, next week. Um, does anybody want to read the uh, description he left? Basically, it was uh, their sound is fundamental to today's video games. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so he got so footstep and movement sounds are fundamental to many of today's video games. Well, not always the focus. These sounds can turn a walk in the park into a test of a player's patience due to repetition or lack of consideration for sounds heard during hours of gameplay. Join us as we explore the art of footsteps and movement and how they can contribute to the overall sound of a game by focusing on examples from different genres for comparison. Learn about some of the common challenges, solutions, and interesting insights that will sharpen your perception of movement in games. Be there. And listen. Yeah, looking forward to it. My only, my only concern is that my uh, shotgun mic that I have on my camera is not going to do it justice by any means. Well, I'll be, I'll be aiming that thing, so we'll uh, we'll see what happens. 
Great. Awesome. <laughs> and then um, I guess we have a little, uh, moving on a little bit, is uh, the group, uh, IGA Twin Cities, is experimenting a little bit with a side meeting, so to speak. Um, it's um, a, more of a social event, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, or a networking event, I guess. A networking event, yep. But we're meeting at the Chatterbox. Is it the Chatterbox Pub? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the Chatterbox Pub in yep. Highland Park. Highland Park. Um, and it's coming up really soon. I think the podcast <laughs> will probably be out after the actual event. Yeah. On the day of the event or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's it, we're going to try to do this every month. Is that true? Yeah, so it'll be the... It'll be the, the I don't know how to say it, the fortnight Supplement? after. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, it's two weeks after the regular <laughs> meeting. It should be, or two weeks before the next meeting. So, And, and the and, focus is just to, you know, get together and have a social thing versus a meeting. Right, because a lot of people, um, you know, they can't go to the happy hour type of thing that we do after the regular meetings because they have to go home. So this is a way for people to have meet and, and talk and network and it's a lot more casual. There's no presentations. Without a silly presentation getting in the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're also going to use it as, as a volunteer meeting as well. Right. So the first, part of the meeting um, or the first part of the event will be some of the volunteers getting together and having their meeting. So, Yeah, no, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. I like the idea of a, of a social thing there. And it's totally cash. It's not, it's not, you know, you're not missing anything other than like a night out with your friends, I guess is what I... Yeah, and I, I think the idea too is we're, we might not move it around from the chatterbox. We may or may not, but we may move the day around so that it, you know, if you can't make a Wednesday, you can still come some other day. Right. Uh, so we'll try to move it around during the week. I'm torn on that because it would be nice to move it out of the chatterbox, but the chatterbox is very nice for our kind of event. So. Yeah, there's other places, though. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think it, it might be good to, to move around the city in addition to different days a little bit. Just right. In the corners some. Not that I really can complain about the Chatterbox. I mean, it's pretty close to my house. So. Yeah, well, it's the other side of the world for me. No, right. Really. I'm willing to drive to the other end, at the ends of the earth for this. <laughs> <laughs> Your dedication. Oh, uh, no, no off. worries. I listen to podcasts on my car drive, so it's like that it, it never happened. All right, well, I suppose we could get into some meat. Um, I know that uh, one of the things that's been in the news a little bit, which I think is really interesting, is... and um. I know it applies to you, Jackie, and me as, as well with work, which I didn't mention, but um, uh, Indy Engines, um, specifically the Unreal uh, changed their royalty structure, which is amazing. Yeah. I think it I'm, used to be 10 grand or 5 grand when you had five. to start paying rolling, uh, royalties on a product you made. It's 5 grand. Yeah, so it wasn't very much at all. So essentially the, uh, is it, the Unreal Development Kit, or is it the Unreal Engine? They have a lot of products, uh, which I'm a little confused about, but I believe it's the UDK. I believe it's the UDK, too. Yep. I think you're right. Yes. And, um, you know, which is, everybody knows Unreal, of course. Um, and so the engine, you could use it 
um, it was available to you just to download even right now. But if you were right, to you could always download the UDK and start doing stuff, but you can sell your stuff <laughs> without some issues. Now, do you think they're doing this in response to Unity starting to get some uh, some serious market share in there? Uh, and I suppose a little, nice little segue that Crytek is trying to put their feet in the water too. Yeah, there's also a couple other engines too, like um, it's like Trinity. Sure, Trinity. They sponsor a lot of IGDA stuff, actually, on a like org level, and I've met a few of their reps, and but I haven't actually looked at their their engine. And then, um, yeah, and then CryEngine is going to have a uh, uh, a more indie friendly version. But I think a lot of it is in response to well, not just Unity, but the fact that a lot of mobile and smaller stuff is. Sure. Sure. you know, happening right now, and they all want to get in on that because that's where the market seems to be heading. It's sort of, you know, I was like, wow, CryEngine is coming out. And and sort of like I went looking for details, and there aren't any. You know, they just said it's going to be coming for indies. Um, which Yeah, and <laughs> I knew about that, like, at GDC Austin last year. I met one of the um, sales reps for CryEngine, and she was telling me about it, but she didn't. She couldn't give me a date. It was just gonna be sometime this year. <laughs> I, I had seen them presenting at um, Itzik. I Itzik. I don't know. Some. Oh, I can't even imagine. Training, engineering conference. I something like that. Um, and they were presenting the CryEngine, which is sort of funny because it blows the the look of it blows every other thing there out of the water. It's a very impressive engine. But, I mean, that was the for-sale version of it for training. They were trying to sell it for training stuff as well, not just games. Okay. Serious games, I guess you could say. <laughs> Super serious games. Super serious games. Um, yeah, no, I'm interested in, in the CryEngine. There's a lot of engines out there, and I've had experience with a number of them. Um, Unity is something I've been getting to play with a bit at work, and I know a number of our uh, semi-regular... Uh, IGDA attendees use it as well. Um, and a couple other engines like Ogre mm -hmm. and Torque. I think Torque is dead now. Yeah, it sounds Torque like not, everyone... Well, it's not dead, but everyone seems... like I've not talked to one person that's like, I love working in Torque. Oh. I've, I've not met one person that has said that to me. I'm, I'm right there with you. Cause I, had to, <laughs> I worked in Torque for school and I needed it to the point where I told my pro my professor I had to do something in it and I said I'm going to build something in scratch in X and A because I don't like torque and <laughs> they were cool with that they said your grade is going to be you know hinging upon you able to do it and I'm like I don't want to do deal with torque um, no offense against torque it just uh, it didn't work for me but I, I think it was sort of antiquated as well but ogre ogre is something that we use at work um, for uh, our visualization system. And I, I guess its biggest claim to fame is Torchlight. Um, okay. That'd be the one thing that most people know. So Ogre has been ported to um, the Xbox as well with its Torchlight recent release. Hmm. And don't forget Zombie Driver. Zombie, did Zombie Driver? Is that Ogre? It's, it's Ogre, yeah. Oh. Yep, yep. Right. Just a shameless plug there. So, you know, sorry about that. <laughs> did you work on that or something? I, I did all the I did all the male voices in in uh, Zombie Dragon. Oh, all right then. <laughs> That's awesome. That's why. Shameless shameless plug. Brains. 
<laughs> it was good though. No, uh, it was, that, was, that was a blast. Cool. Yeah, a lot of lot of engines out there. Uh, Unity is uh, one I'm just getting started with at work. It's uh, I actually really like it. the The visual interface is really good for me. Yeah, so far it's it's fitting our needs. So I'm pleased with it. Talk to me though in six months and see if I have the same opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But for right now, it seems okay. I know uh, Gravic, which is a local game uh, development company here in Minnesota, they have a number of stuff they've re- released in Unity 3D. In fact, they had an awesome presentation uh, a year and a half ago or so. W- introduced me to Unity, and I'm like, wow, you know, they, they, they did some things right in the fly that I was like amazed because our pipeline at work is by no means that flexible or hadn't been, and uh, very impressive. So, um, you guys ever eat? Cereal? I have. Um, what was it? The Honey Nut Cheerio cereal? Uh, it came with a, the on the box, it came with a B code, you know, that you could type oh, into the yeah. computer for yes. uh, a video game you could play. And Gravik is the company. They actually, local company, they made that, that game. It was the, the B from the cereal. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. That is really cool. I didn't know about that. And then um, another company, Faust Logic, who made um i forget what it was called who also did a presentation but they made a big special effects kit for torque and so it was this if basically if you look up torque and you look up the special effects thing or whatever that's him i can't remember what it was called and his company and um he's now transitioned to unity as well i believe taking his uh, the logic and coolness of his special effects and bringing them into the unity engine some really impressive stuff like uh it really great for uh, fantasy stuff like you cast a spell and a giant flame dragon pops out of the ground and consumes your energy enemies and flaming fire of, from a flaming dragon it's kind of neat a lot of really neat why why am i not surprised that your first reference is something on fire <laughs> explosion <laughs> so that's what special effects are it's, it's explosions <laughs> that's awesome explosions. this podcast brought to you by michael bay <laughs> now we need the explosion sound. I know. Right, I'll see what I audio guy <laughs> yeah, get, the some, get some uh, some effects in here. All right, and somebody uh, had mentioned Flash 3D, which um, if somebody can elaborate on that, I'd be interested in hearing about it. Well, I don't know about Flash 3D. Well, what it sounds like is that. It's it's being brought into Unity, so you can the developer can kind of choose if they want to use, like the Unity player or the Flash player. But with a Flash player, you're actually able to use your graphics card to to render some of the stuff. So that's that's pretty huge, actually. Does Flash not do that currently? Is it like no? Oh, it's totally all processor. So yeah, so that'll just it'll just kill. Um, <laughs> you know, if you want to do anything that's graphic intensive, especially if you're rendering stuff on the fly, like 3D models, um, it'll just you know, you really need to shrink your window to be able to run it at a good frame rate. So that, that, this is cool. This is really cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, I had, I had read a little bit of the, uh, the post at the, um, Unity blog about it, and they were, um, it's seemingly pretty excited about it. It sounded like you'd be able to create your Unity thing and then publish it to Flash or something like that. Yes, that's what I understood. But I also understood it that it doesn't, 
it's not fully supported. So not all of the things, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't do all of the things that you can do in unity. Um, and it, it requires some tweaking, but it's, um, it's I'm excited. I'm excited about where that's going actually, because it'll just improve. That's so I'm happy. It won't run on an iOS device. Well, but you can export it for something else that run. Yeah. Well, I I guess the nice thing is, is that with the flash player, um, I know some people find having to download the unity plugin is an issue. Right. And so this would help with that issue. Exactly. Because they're willing to do the flash one. And I, I think it'll also bring, um, flash developers into unity too. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there'll be some cross-pollination that'll happen there as well. So I think it's a good move. Well, basically getting some 3D into Flash is probably a good thing, too. Yeah. Which uh, I think it's going to be really interesting, The uh, I guess the Mac uh, or the iOS Android wars now, especially if you got something like Flash 3D coming about, because there's a lot of Flash developers out there. There's so many sites develop, or, uh, devoted just to Flash games like Newgrounds and and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see if they start populating uh, like Android games a lot more, and if Apple eventually reverses its ban on on Flash. Yeah, yeah I, I'll be interested in that. I can't see them doing that, to be honest. But Probably it's not. definitely interesting. Yeah. Well, even like um, Cartoon Network and and what's the like Robot Chicken? You know, yeah. they have. If you ever go to those websites. What's the the big one? I'm trying to think of. It's not Cartoon Network. It's like Robot Chicken. Um, but they they Adult got tons. Swim, yeah, about? there we go. Adult yeah. Swim. They got tons of of crazy yeah. games that get a lot of attention, like a uh, Robot Unicorn Attack. Right. <laughs> yes. That game's so awesome. The game is so bad, but it's so awesome at the same time. You just can't help. <laughs> it's so awesome. <laughs> so awesomely bad. It's awesomely great. <laughs> Don't make me start singing Erasure. <laughs> no. <laughs> Because you know you had to start singing. I know, it's in the back of my head now. It's stuck forever. <laughs> Robot unicorn attack. All right, well, that kind of wraps up, I guess, our uh, yeah. discussion of, of, of a high level, or not high level, I guess, a broad level look at, at that in, little engine, indie engines that could. I think, you know, to sort of tie a nice little bow on it, um, the unreal change from five to 50 grand means that, that in little indie companies can consider using it and, and not have to pay anything to, um, the unreal company. Who is the company? Anybody know? Um, until they've made over $50,000 in, in profit or not, not profit in, in revenue from their sales. So right. I, that, that's pretty impressive. And then it's only like a, 70 30 split or something like that you know you just have to yeah it might even be like 10 percent. i can't remember well and the nice thing about that too is that if somebody you know wanted to put out their own games on a small level they have skills that could transfer to a larger studio as well yeah too you know yep like i have a uh i have a degree it's gaming and game and simulation programming degree and at the time it was torque as i mentioned and now they're transitioning to udk and 
um, that was really annoying because I had to pay three, four hundred bucks for torque, and it was not something I wanted to brag about at all. Right. And UDK is something that, at least to me, it's unreal. It's it's totally notable in the game industry. Instead of being, you know, no big offense to torque or anything, but very indie. And um, so that's awesome. It'll be interesting to see what CryEngine does in response to if they'll actually have a phone uh, thing on the on the horizon or anything. Oh yeah, because you know Unreal does, Unity does. Does is CryEngine released any details about their indie free option at all, or is it pretty? I I, I went searching because I was. Hyper- yeah, they haven't. They've just kind of said that they're going to, but they haven't like given any details as to the specifics of it that I know gotcha. of. Gotcha. Yeah, me either. And I did a pretty in-depth forum search and stuff and looking for it's it. It's all rumors and hearsay right now. <laughs> it's all just false promises, yeah, and guys on video. That's all I could find. <laughs> so with nothing, nothing solid. Um, anyway. Well, an interesting thing that uh, was posted on the IGDA Twitter and Facebook the other day was uh, a question that I thought was really pertinent because... Uh, well, here's the question. Not everyone who works in games works on programming, art, production, etc. Do you consider yourself a game developer? And me personally, I mean, I don't uh, traditionally work on programming, but I, I definitely consider myself a game developer. Um, and I fall a lot onto sort of scripting and art. Uh, and I, I, I 100% agree that, that People who work on games, it doesn't. To be a game developer, you don't necessarily have to be a programmer. Right. I would agree with that. Well, is this question more asking about people that don't work on assets? Period. So, is it saying you're not a programmer, you're not an artist, you're not a sound, you're not a producer, something else like accounting or um, HR? Is that what they're asking, or were they just saying if you're not a programmer and other these things, are you still a developer? I guess I had interpreted it as a, you know, a developer is a programmer. So I, you could gotcha. be right. The way the, the question is phrased, it actually could be that, that um, somebody who works in, say, um, legal or, or um, you know, writes the, uh, the press releases or something like that. You know, are right, they, marketing, yeah. Um, yeah. Which Management. I guess yeah, makes that question a, a, a bit more complicated. Because I would definitely consider art and sound to be game developers. Yeah, you know, uh, what's interesting about game development is how multidisciplinary it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And how you need so many different pieces from so many different um, skill sets to make it work. You know, because... you know, we're doing a pretty story, heavily story-based game, so we have a lot of writers, and I would consider them, they're developing a game. They're game developers, right? Absolutely. Um, even though they don't code. I don't I don't code all that much. I mean, I used to, but I don't really do it that much anymore, and I'm doing more of a kind of an overall vision design, and I'm running a business, so but I still consider myself a developer. I own a development studio, you know, so I don't, um, yeah, I I think sometimes we get hung up on certain uh, roles, but having to realize that you need a lot of 
a lot of players to make a game successful. You know, even thinking like on a on a really large title where you have like localization experts who have to translate everything um, to different language, and and not only that, but also be culturally sensitive. Um, they play a role. QA plays a role. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of pieces that go into into game development. Right. Currently, in my mind, I would think anybody that will change the way the game evolves in some step along the process is probably a game developer uh, to a certain extent, I think, is what I would say. Yeah. Because like you're right, even a QA person could be like, you know, this this bug is happening right here and they may just decide to throw out that part of the game because it's just it's not going to be worth it. So this QA person actually changed the game and actually developed the game in a way. I mean, that doesn't happen that often, but I guess in a way that that's game development right there too. Right. Right. I think it, it kind of is a question to the general perception. If, if you tell somebody in the most general sense that you're a, a game developer, you know, they're going to assume that you're a programmer. Or in my case, they assume I'm a project manager. Right. <laughs> Which is funny. <laughs> right. Well, I guess it wasn't too complicated of a question, but I thought it, I thought it was a good one because it, it, it pointed out at least my some of my... um. Uh, stereotyping of what a game developer is in my head, even though I'm aware that it's you know not pigeonholed in that way at all. But you know, the funny yeah. thing is, when I think of game developer, I think of a designer. That's the first thing that pops in my mind, which maybe be doing doing some scripting, but isn't really going to be programming heavy. Right, they're kind of concepting the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's their it's their their baby. You know, and that's probably a, uh, a perception thing, too. It's just, you know, in my case, it's a programmer. I imagine programmer sure. as a game developer. Because a developer, at least in, in the, the terminology of my workplace and engineers, developer is code. Sure. Well, I guess the other thing is, too, is programming is going to be the lowest common denominator in the fact that you can't make a game without programming. So you always has to be a programmer. So, so... Um, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean well, you're I would, gonna have to have a programmer to have a develop. To, to, you don't to actually it. no, but you actually don't necessarily because you there are. I mean, depends on the complexity of your game, but you could make a very basic game with there's like a it's like 3D via or whatever. It's a like a visual. It's you don't actually program anything. It's kind of like you like this kind of visual layout thing that helps you kind of think through the logic of the game but it's not actually coding and gotcha. and so it's doing the high level coding the to some extent that well which is true of any design yeah so i mean there's tools out there where you don't actually have to be a programmer well, to create a game and know, I, I mean there's also tabletop and things like yeah, that that's where I was where say, take it to paper take it to table yeah yeah where you don't actually have to... I mean, that's still dealing with all of the different facets of the design and even art and things like that, but you're not you're not programming anything. No, in that True. case, the design becomes... But somebody has to build it, right? Yeah. All the pieces and whatever. If there's pieces. The same sort of thing needs to go in it, like the, the design and the thoughtfulness and the, you know, the logic of how things work, right? 
but you don't necessarily need a programmer. Yeah. So I guess in a way, too, um, there was a book that I was reading that I actually haven't had a chance to finish yet called The the Grasshopper. It's like this philosophical kind of... Um, uh, like it's it's kind of set up for like these like pl- platonic like from you know Plato platonic um like uh, I forget what they're called like kind of a discourse and um it's interesting so it's kind of discussing the theory of like what is a game from a philo- philosophical point of view like you know at at its core what what is a game and it's a it's a really interesting read it's a really it's a short book, but it takes forever because they're extraordinarily wordy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is, you know, and it's kind of the same thing with game developer. Like, what's at the core of, of game development? Like, what do you, you know, would this be a game developer or would this not be a game developer? It's probably, this could be a whole topic for a different podcast if we wanted to get into it, I guess. But uh, it is an interesting question because there are a lot of stereotypes around that. And I even encounter, you know, a lot of different stereotypes from and not not gender related ones but just like about you know what my role is or something like that in terms of you know having the company and things like that too like some people are like well if you're not a programmer then you can't run a company which is not they're two completely different skill sets oh yeah <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> so they don't cross well necessarily either Right. So, you know, there are a lot of assumptions that that people both in the industry and outside the industry have. So about certain job titles. So, yeah, actually, um, there's been a lot of research that that suggests that women women have play more games than men do. And uh, that especially in the mobile and social gaming thing. Um, there's still a lot of disagreement over like what's core, what's hardcore, what's casual, um, and, and all of that other stuff. But I think the industry has come around to realize that, uh, Zynga and all of these other social developers and, and stuff like PopCap too, um, you know, the people that play those games are playing well, they're playing games, not something else that isn't games. Mm-hmm. They're actually playing games, like real live games. <laughs> like, it falls like, under the description <laughs> of what a game is, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so That's, I think, and I, actually that was one of the things that I noticed at GDC this year. It was like, um, begrudgingly or not, like it, they've, okay, social is part of the industry now. We admit it. Yep. And, and so... <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. So that specific article you were talking about, I think it said something like 53% of, of. do you remember what the statistic was? Yeah, 53% of our, our uh, of, social yeah, that, women. Yeah, mobile and social together. They group those together, but that's 53% are, are women players. Yeah, I, well, I, I looked at the article and tried to find the, the stuff that they were specifically referencing, but I couldn't find, you know, the any specifics of the study or anything like that so yeah and i don't know about this particular study where they got the 53 from i mean i know about the 40 percent of tradition like traditional gamers are you know like in terms of like the what they typically measure from like triple a titles are 
but women. You say the Entertainment Software Association has it. Paid. Yeah, and that's been out for a, a while. Yeah. That that forty uh, percent number. Yeah. Well, I, my my first reaction to it was it sounded like it was a flurry. Is that who the, the had done the study or something like that? Um, yeah, the analytics provider is Flurry. Yeah. Which is primarily mobile, is my understanding of it. But I guess you could put that into Facebook or whatever social stuff too. I guess. I was just me. I love the stats and like where did you actually get your data? Right. <laughs> I couldn't find it, but. Um, well, and there is a lot of problems around getting the digital data um, as well. I mean, there's kind of a big hole in the. Um, in the data for, for people like me anyways, I'm sure the big corporations have access to it, but like NPD is finally starting to measure uh, the digital data purchases and things like that. Cause what we don't know is, you know, how much money things, uh, how much money like virtual goods are actually producing. And also like even with AAA titles, like how, how what percentage of sales is really um, coming from digital purchases, like purely digital purchases. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of data comes out in the next year. Would that include that. like subscription costs to like World of Warcraft and stuff like that? Yeah, like all that stuff. Like, well, some of that stuff is known, right? But okay. they weren't tracking it as okay. part of the overall dollar figure of the industry. So they knew about it, but they didn't track it. Um, you know, like in MPD is the one you always hear all the time and they don't, they don't do anything with digital at all. Well, they are now, they are now, they, yeah, they just announced, um, they just announced that like a couple weeks ago, actually, I saw an article about it. So they're, they're starting to get all their digital stuff together, but yeah, there's like a lot of, you know, it's really hard to track all like the in-game purchases and things like that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, um, especially for companies that aren't public. So and companies that aren't public don't have to publish any of their numbers. Yep. So uh, that's a difficult piece of information to to come so it's, by. It's always going to have to be estimates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, too, is there's so many MMOs that are trending to the free-to-play. So they're basically basing their sales off microtransactions. So that's you know that's going to be a pretty big slice of that DLC market, which isn't right. getting factored. So that's, that's interesting. That's I think interesting. they're forced to, though. I don't think that the you know the the pay market in the regards to your sales. Uh, it's just it's one of those things like how many week or monthly subscriptions are you willing to maintain? You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I completely I completely agree, uh, absolutely. But but that's just you know it's not being reflecting and that which is also interesting because I was looking at the data from another link that showed that um, sales from 2008 to 2009 went down from like 11.7 to 10.5. But I feel like digital is skyrocketing, so yeah. that figure is probably not really correct because it, you know, it's like transitioning from CDs to MP3s or something like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's because they're measuring the stuff they're measuring is old, basically, and people are moving to new. Yeah. Your your analogy was right on. Yeah, I can only imagine that the sales in the game industry has exploded with uh, mobile stuff and whatnot. I don't know how they're tracking that. Well, and then there's also like things that aren't counted. So when you think of like gold farming and things like that, you know, other, <laughs> That's true. right. That's true. I mean, I did a whole paper on that and it was really fascinating. 
so World of Warcraft revenues at the time that I wrote the paper, which is like 2008 or something, was like around $2 billion just from the subscription revenue. And then annually, but like the gold farming revenue was like $8 billion, like at the bare wow. minimum estimate. I mean, it's crazy huge. Um, crazy. Like, you know, people are seriously buying a lot of gold and items and, you know, having characters leveled up and whatever. So... Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, so it's really fascinating. Um, you know, that there's a lot of there's a lot of holes in the net and there's people that are spending a lot of money but nobody nobody knows about it really. You know, cuz it's it's hard to measure, well, especially in the case of gold farming because like it's technically illegal. So Yeah. <laughs> like in more ways than one, it's well, actually is it illegal, illegal or is it is it breaking the terms of service? It's breaking the terms of service, and it's actually illegal in some places. Um, like, it's like Korea; it was outlawed um, because they, but they could do it in like China and Vietnam and in Mexico because like they don't always recognize international laws. So like, Blizzard can't sue people in China, kind of thing. Sure. Um, and and then also, you know, crime starts getting involved in it. So, like, at first it was kind of, quote, legitimate, you know, shops set, getting set up. And then criminal the criminal element realized that this is a really great way to launder money. So they started doing that <laughs> through gold. Through like, so, like, your, your gold, your gold buying. Imagine, wow. Imagine like, laundering drug money. talking about this, yeah. <laughs> they had made the sprinkles today it would have been in there yeah yeah it's i mean but i mean the stuff really is you know going on and it's it's interesting you know there's a lot of people are spending a lot of money and stuff but pe- there's a, a group of people that don't have visibility to it wow all right well i guess the uh the the question i had had which um i know that that your studio is how do you phrase it you're making games for women is that an appropriate phrasing. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, the the mission of our company is to empower women through video games. So yeah. Um, and okay, so one of the discussions I've been having with our designer, who's a who's a, I would call him a young boy. He's like twenty two. Um, I don't know his age, but he's much younger than I am. Um, and we're designing, and we're talking about things called uh, about approachability and you know mass appeal. And he's equating that to a woman audience. Mm, that's interesting. And which I think is kind of normal. Um, and maybe I'm broken in that way. But I, I'm just wondering if it, it brings up the big discussion because I know we've had it offline a couple times about what exactly is a game for women, right? And and you've said it's not necessarily any different than a game for men, which mm. which I'll agree with. Um, but why would you think then that this um, a, a game that's more appealing on a phone would be a game for women? And and it leads into the statistics thing a little bit, where the statistics from the ESA is you know 40% are women, whereas the statistic for the social aspect is 53% women. Right, and the other thing that they don't break out in um well they do a little bit in this article but the ESA breaks it out a little bit too is that the 40% of women that play are actually like 
older women. So they're not like 18 year old women. They're like 25 and up. Um, and in the social realm, like the typical woman is like around 40 years old. So um, it's a different demographic altogether. But, you know, you have a game like Angry Birds, and that tends to have appeal across genders and ages. So, and I think it's basically like, is it light and fun? You know, I mean, because mass appeal is, like, I'm, not, I'm actually not going after a mass appeal game. I'm making a niche game. Right, like, exactly. <laughs> That's what like I was ex- not- suspecting, right? <laughs> that you're, right. Not, you're not making a cute little thing, and you gotta, you had, you'd said the comment of make it pink, and now you've got a girl's game. Which is totally a fallacy, right? Right. Yeah, that's not true at all. Um, Actually, all you have to do is go to the Bioware forums and all of the fangirls there. Like, and if you actually read what they write, like about what they gush about and what they obsess over, like it's not things that are pink. It's horrible, horrible things. They torture characters. It's so terrible. The fanfic they write is so angsty and just oh my god, it's over the top. (laughs) It's not even. Not even close to pink. Like, unless, like, it's diluted blood. Like, <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> that would be the only thing that would make it pink. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, so, I, I, as far as mass appeal goes, I mean, it, I, I, if I had that secret formula, I would not be on this podcast right now. So... <laughs> I just wanted to, because I don't think, I think mass appeal is exactly what you said. It's light and it's fun to play, right? Right. It's, and it's gotta be something that's entertaining and it can't be overly complicated because the, the masses and I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not insulting anybody by saying this, but like you don't, you're not playing angry birds because you want like a, you know, some kind of like huge intellectual, epiphany you're playing angry birds because you're killing some time right exactly <laughs> you know that's it's, you're, you don't want to do something else that's why you're playing angry birds um but, then well at the same time there could be different levels of mass appeal for like for you know angry birds is an excellent exa- excellent example of like just i guess like pop culture mass appeal whereas like a game like mass effect has a mass appeal but it's still a little more niche than Angry Birds would be, even though it's a huge seller and guys right. and girls play that. But it's not as accessible, definitely, as, as Angry Birds. Oh, no. I mean, um, no, it's definitely not as accessible because you need to have a PC that can play it or a console. So you need that first. And then if it's console, then you need to know how to use the controls. Yeah. And then and if it's PC, then you need to know how to you know, do all the stuff on the PC, all the controls on that. Um, and it, the gameplay isn't, I mean, it's not like it, it's not like you couldn't learn. Right. But if you're, if it's that the first game, if that's the first game you ever played ever, I don't know if that would be something that you'd want to keep, you know what I mean? It would take some practice and some patience. I don't know. It's an interesting question though. It's, it's very layered. (laughs) It is really layered and, you know, and I think that's the problem. It's like, I, you know, people want to make stuff that's like, and I, I don't even know if like the people who made Angry Birds were like, we're going to make a game that has mass appeal. I have a feeling that it was more like, this is really funny. I really like this. And maybe some other people will like it too. And then it totally took off. Yeah. I don't know how true it is, but I had heard that 
it was their 52nd game <laughs> or something like that. Huh. And wow. it was they were in their development process and they just used birds and threw them at walls to, to test that the logic of whatever was working. And it kind of stuck. Now, I don't <laughs> know if this is one of those, you know, um, uh, true things or one of those made up stories like why eBay got started. Um, because it's a, it's a fun little story or what, but. Well, and I think it's telling too that it's the, their 52nd game. If that's, you know, if that's, yeah. it's like, you can't expect your first game to be blockbuster. That's very rare when that happens. It's usually the, the gross exception, not the rule. And I'll admit, you know, we're, 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 my intent with the game I'm working with, uh, battery power games right now is for it to have some, some mass appeal. I want it to, you know, kind of appeal to everybody. And hence my concern with it being zombies, because I don't think zombies appeal to everybody. Um, and so we're, we're bouncing around some ideas in regards to theme, but um, some of the, the, the controls and whatnot um, definitely would, down to how easy it is to play and thus how much mass appeal it has. I would throw out a word of caution, though, because um, one studio I work with put out a game didn't end up selling that well, and what they tried to do was make a more mass appeal uh, game, but they found out that their core audience didn't go for it because it because they they felt like it had been dumbed down, so they it, it just ended up not selling selling very well. Right. So well, it's also well, I'm really torn like in that place too, where um, a, as a game developer, it's really fun to develop a game, but you also have yeah. to be very aware that the game. Part, it's a game to make a game, if that makes sense. Like you choose. No, to it totally is. Yeah, it totally is. And so you get, you just, I get high the same way making a game as I do playing a good game, a really good game. Sure, sure. And I just want to be very wary not to make the perfect game for me, where I'm making a game that makes <laughs> yeah. me really excited, and because I'm playing the game, it makes me really enjoy it. So I'm just trying mm-hmm. to be very aware of that, and yet make something that's. Not too complicated that that I really enjoy it, but yet um, ruins it for somebody else. And and I listen to a lot of podcasts, and generally podcasts in the gaming thing, uh, the ones I listen to, they don't because they're not specifically about mobile. They don't, they're not, they haven't been mobile. But in the last year or so, they've all sort of started to mention mobile a little bit. And games that come out are Angry Birds, um, Tiny Wings. Flight Control, um, what's another one? Uh, Mini Squadron. Game Dev Story was really fun. Game I Dev enjoyed Story. that. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, that definitely got mentioned, but that's just because you know the the game, <laughs> just the genre. Yeah. Of, of, I know. I, I thought it was fun. It's a fun game. It's sort of sickly fun. It's too slow. Once you really get into it, you just have to wait for that. Ching 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 ching. But anyway, oh, I totally, I was totally digging it, and yeah. now, and now, I, every game I play, I grade on those four criterions. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, people who have played it will know exactly what we mean. Otherwise, they won't. But um, like Tori, who's probably just wondering what the hell. Um, but anyway, my point being that all these games that have seeped into the the culture of these guys and gals that that play and love Halo or or um, Fallout, or you know whatever the big release is on, for the most part, 360 or PS3. And then they talk just, oh, I've been spending my time playing 
Angry Birds or Tiny Wings or something. But the the redeeming quality of all those games is you literally do one thing. In 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 Angry Birds, you launch a bird. You're only ever doing one thing, and you watch it happen. Mm-hmm. Or you launch a bird, and then you decide when that bird explodes or splits into three birds. Or in Tiny Birds, you sort of draw a little path. Or um, Tiny Birds, uh, Tiny Wings, I think it's called. You just draw a path on how you want that bird to fly. Or Mini Squadron is really just uh, sort of a simple steer and shoot. And uh, Cannibalt is one that was really big too that I I didn't mention before. That was on that you probably had seen. It's basically robot unicorn attack, sort of. Without the gems, I think. Anyway, all the games, they seem to have this one thing that it's like uber easy to control and gameplay that's literally seconds versus um, anything involved. Right. And I don't necessarily want to make a game that's specifically that way, but I think you can still take some elements that, that are a bit more involved and yet simplify them to some extent and being wary of what Tori had said as well, but... I don't know. The advice that I always get from people is like, you take the thing that of you know your alpha or your concept or whatever that's the most fun, and you exploit the hell out of that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, and then make it just about that. It's when you start to try to make it more complicated, um, it's it actually starts to take away the fun. I think. Well, in, in, in our case right now with the, the developer that we have, me, uh, Rob, and this developer that we've hired, um, we're in a healthy conflict, I would call it, but we're waiting for a proto- prototype to come out because we're all, we all have the three of us that are you know, throwing our, our, our stew into the pot, so to speak, have different opinions of it, and um, I'm really waiting for that prototype to come out and see where the actual fun is so that, that it can be... Um, verifiable just instead of this you know what's in our head so to speak so, I'll, right I'll... excellent yeah yeah so i mean i i guess i i don't i mean the, there's another like business theory too where the idea is um you know your initial your initial people are in that you know like your the whole population's in a sort of bell curve you know your initial uh, people are like the early adopters who are in the tail of that curve. And then there's kind of this like no man's land before you get into the actual like bell where the masses are. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in most startups, there's this concept of called that's called crossing the chasm, which is like getting out of that uh, group of, of niche people, like your early adopters, those people and actually moving into that mass appeal and then that takes time like it's really really rare that somebody would output something and expect to end up in the in the big part of the bell and and oftentimes going to the big part of the bell in a, in the case of a game would actually alienate a lot of your initial users <laughs> which is kind of ironic and sad but um sounds like the future for this podcast yeah <laughs> you know but i mean that's part of the the trade-off right because the people the the people that adopt later are not necessarily um they have a different they have different needs right they have different wants they have um they're different (laughs) i guess would be like no i know exactly what you're saying 
you know, than than the people that adopt early. So, well, so know, like it, um, bands that are popular local, right? What do you really enjoy about a local band? And right. what you really enjoy about it is that you know they're local. <laughs> you know, you're able to see them and appeal, and they appeal to you. And yeah, they they have good music, hopefully. But that local appeal also plays some part in that. And once they go national or something like that, you maybe you have pride in that until the point where that's broken. But I know exactly what you mean. If, if that yeah, it's helps. kind of like that. It's kind of like that, yeah. I mean, it, people adopt your product for different reasons at different points of time. And so your product needs to be able to adapt like for those different points in your business plan. So in a lot of ways, you're your first adopters are kind of almost like, I wouldn't want to say that they're beta testers, but you're getting data from them, right? Uh, in terms of whether it's sales numbers or if you're doing more analytics or whatever, um, that are, is going to help you refine your product to make it appeal to more people. Right. And then, and then you get into a whole other theories of like what that actually means, but that's probably a subject for a whole different podcast. <laughs> you ever heard that theory of when, uh, especially in like game design, if somebody asks you for something, don't do it. <laughs> no, I haven't heard of that. I um, have heard of that actually. <laughs> because basically they're, they're suggesting ways that would make the game easier, but it's exactly opposite of what they enjoy. Huh. Does that make sense? So, uh, yeah, yeah, so somebody sure. would say, Oh, you should make it so you don't have to go through the, the, whatever to get the gold but right. it really turns out that that's what they enjoy about the game is going for the gold they just right i mean if it's something about menu design and how slow it is or something like that i think you can well think and parts, i've heard but... stories too where people are like oh we're gonna design a game for this demographic and then they release it and they find out that a whole different set of group of people really enjoy the game and then and then they find out that so rather than try to fix the game to make it for their original demographic, they just kind of go with it and and uh, take it from there. Pokemon. <laughs> Aimed at kids, but it's all 20-year-old boys that play it. Well, it's the same thing. Like, I mean, there's products like that, too. Like, there's the, uh, what is it, the, the Cube, that car. The, is, it the, is it a Honda? I think it's a oh, Honda. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's... No, that's not the Cube. The Cube is the Nissan. It's the Honda. But it's like that rectangular car. Like, they were trying to market that to, like, people that, you know, like, you know, college students and stuff. And college students didn't want anything to do with it. Like, 30-year-olds with dogs loved that car. <laughs> oh, funny. You know, it wasn't what they had expected at all. But it's just, um, and then, you know, then they have to change all of their, so, so part of it is actually, like, once you release, you have to have some good way of analyzing the data that comes True. back. True. All right. Yeah, I don't I'm expect a, us to be immensely successful or anything like that, but I would still like to make a game that... Yeah, but, you I know, even if you fail, it. you can learn from failures. So yeah. that's the other thing, too. Like, I think people are afraid to fail. So it's... Um, and I, I'm getting philosophical now. But, like, failure is okay as long as you learn from it, right? So... When you're planning your game, you should be thinking about, well, what what are we gonna what are we gonna measure? What are our metrics? And uh, how how yeah? So how can we, like how can we how can we uh, make it better next time around? Not just from like the the postmortem from the project point of view, but like what did we find out from its sales or lack thereof um, and the feedback that we got from the community and how people actually played uh, the game. That if you build it, they will come. 
thing. Cause I, cause yeah, I've that doesn't. That. I've done that, that numerous times, and that 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 works to uh, the very smallest extent. <laughs> yeah, that's not a. It doesn't appeal to the way you think it does. So. No, you that doesn't really work all that much any any longer. So there's too much, and 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 entertainment is fleeting. You know, that's the other piece of it. It's like moods change with the wind. What's popular now will not be popular like six months from now. People will have like the new hotness, and then they'll forget all about it. And, you know, because attention spans are short when it comes to entertainment. There's because there's just so much of it. It's like ubiquitous. Um, so sometimes like you could have the best game ever, but because of the timing and something else going on, it could never get the attention it deserved because of something else that was completely out of your control and had nothing to do with your game design. <laughs> right. That's true, too. Oh, yeah, timing can play a part, which is sort of sad, which is exactly why we see what we see with movie release dates and stuff like that, why certain movies come out at certain times. So, I don't know. So many fun things to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a, it's like a big real time strategy game for me. <laughs> <laughs> the game of life. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'd be remiss without mentioning um, the the delay of, of Duke Nukem Forever. And uh, how do you feel about that, Jackie? I don't care. They got delayed again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Forever, well, forever okay. plus one. Um, that's the joke, of course, and when they said it, yes, we're delayed. But most likely it's a marketing thing. Because mm. um, if you ask me, that release date that they had is sort of falling on some other re- releases that would probably trump them, maybe. Or it would be a concern of theirs, I guess. That's my opinion. I don't know for sure. But I think L.A. Noir was coming out the same week that they oh, were. Oh, sure. So uh, they, they moved it a bit. But I can understand, too. Should we should we uh should we end this puppy? Yeah, yeah let's do it. it. Um, yeah. it's over. It's <laughs> over. Uh, we'll make it real quick. Um, you can contact us uh via podcast at igdatc.org, uh, with email, or just come to the website igdatc.org. Um, we have gotten a couple comments from people, um, which we really appreciate. We'd love to hear more. Um, please send them. Put your comments on the uh, iTunes or Hopefully we'll have comments on the blog here. I haven't checked. I know that we're going to be updating that soon. Um, and also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And I think that's about all I need to say, unless anybody else wants to add anything I missed. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We yeah, appreciate let, us, it. let us know you're out there. That's it. Cut it. All right. It's over. All yours. Adios. All right. Good night, guys. That was Good fun. Thanks, nice Chip. See you in a month. And I'm gonna script their name. It's like Trin Triningi Triningi. It's like not Trinity, but it's got a G in it. Trinin Triningi. I don't. I can never say Trining. I can't say. I've it. never heard of it. Cut it out. <laughs> Cut that whole thing out. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Trinity. I guess yeah, that's gonna be the name of the uh, the uh, the episode. Trinity. Trinity. Trinity.